You finally decided to learn how to ice skate, so you ordered the essentials every aspiring ice skater needs. A nice pair of blades, a shiny new helmet, and a good set of knee pads. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping, which you put those rewards towards an essential piece of post-skating recovery, a heating pad. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding to apply now. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Open Floor. I'm Andrew Sharp, and sitting to my left from the Washington Post, Ben Goliver. What's up, man? Not too much, Andrew. You know, we're still here in Las Vegas. Uh, Summer League continues to plod along, but I'm looking at the rundown for this episode. I don't see a lot of Summer League takes, and I'm wondering, is that because Zion Williamson got injured after nine minutes because John Morant's more famous for the chili cheese fries than he is for doing anything on the basketball court? Because R.J. Barrett looks like he's shooting against a hoop that's just constantly swaying because of earthquakes given his shooting percentages. <laughs> because, you know, Garland and uh, Jared Culver aren't playing. Do we get bamboozled and hoodwinked here, Andrew? Is Summer League maybe like the worst Summer League we've ever seen? It's possible. It's possible. It certainly looks like the entire league decided to load manage Summer League as well. Uh, Brandon Clark and Tyler Harrow are the only two rookies who are like really standing out so far. But the good news is that the entire NBA has decided to lose its mind over the first half of Summer League to keep us busy regardless. So you're filling in the gaps with lots of free agency and and trade speculation and all that kind of good stuff. I see how you work. Yeah, there's plenty of drama in the real NBA. And I feel like we should just jump right in. Let's start with Russell Westbrook. I would like to start with Rui Hachimura's help defense, but fine. <laughs> fine. Go ahead. Let's start with you know one of the 10 most famous NBA players and, and the fact that he could be on the way out of Oklahoma City after 11 years in which he's really become synonymous with a city, a franchise, a state, a region. That could all be gone. That could all go up in a puff of smoke. Yeah. So Caleb says, Russell Westbrook to Philly for Ben Simmons. Philly stays in their current win-now mode and gets a point guard who's willing to actually take a shot, or maybe 25 shots. Sam Presti gets to use his newfound draft capital to build a proper team around Ben Simmons for the next 10 years. Who says no? And I enjoyed that because it was, number one, the weirdest trade suggestion that we got. And number two, it fills our monthly quota of hypothetical Ben Simmons trades on this podcast. Sadly, I don't think Russell Westbrook to Philly is a realistic option. Okay, which vintage of Russell Westbrook could you actually have traded for Ben Simmons? Like, do you think the current Ben Simmons, maybe MVP Russ? Uh, maybe. Because, I mean, keep in mind the contract situation. You're going to have Simmons for like the next five years, you know, perennial all-star, fringe all-star level guy, young, up and coming. Hopefully he figures out how to shoot at some point. And there's a lot of value in Ben Simmons is my point. And the current version of Russell Westbrook is not getting you in the conversation for Ben Simmons. Yeah, well, and what's funny is that Simmons is about to become pretty overpaid and will have a hard time outperforming the deal. He'll sign uh, the max rookie extension, the same one that Jamal Murray got. But overpaid is relative. Not $43 million (laughs) overpaid, right? Exactly. So, all right. So I saw you write about Russell Westbrook on on Monday morning for the Washington Post. Where are you at with Russ right now? No, that's a great way of laying out the fact that you didn't read what I wrote. (laughs) Uh, No, I think that it makes a lot of sense for everybody involved. I think if I'm Westbrook... 
the prospect of running back Westbrook versus the world as a sequel, you know, replaying that 2017 season over is just so dark and dismal that even he shouldn't want to be a part of it. He's got really nothing left to prove in Oklahoma City in terms of how many you know, statistical accomplishments can he, uh, you know, generate? How many triple doubles can he register and all that stuff? He's kind of done all of that. And you look at his supporting cast, especially after the Jeremy Grant trade now, it's like there's not a lot there. Uh, and they really, to me, would be a lottery team if he comes back. So uh, I look at it for him as this is a great time to have an exit strategy, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it, 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 him leaving Oklahoma City is going to hurt a lot of feelings. There's going to be a huge you know, public outpouring of support for him. He has been their guy for 11 years. But if he wants anything more from his career, whether it's a greater shot at winning, whether it is, uh, you know, just playing more meaningful basketball in the postseason, whether it's trying to, you know, ditch some of these labels that he's gotten here these last couple of years, whether it's, you know, selfish or stat chaser or losing player or whatever else, like he is not going to be able to address those kinds of concerns Yeah. Uh, in Oklahoma City next year. He basically has to change markets for that to happen and that wasn't the case by the way in 2017 he had a lot to prove that year after Kevin Durant left and he proved some things he showed that he could put a team on his back carry them to a winning season basically single-handedly put up statistics that we had never seen before and the like I just think he's in a different position career-wise than he was three years ago I also think the door to the Eastern Conference is like wide open. I think I've referred to this, you know, years ago as the Paul Millsap conversion effect, where if you go from the West to the East, all of a sudden <laughs> you look like 20% better and you might be a fringe all-star in the West, but you could be a legit all-star in the Eastern Conference. And I think Russell Westbrook is like one of the most qualified Paul Millsap conversion candidates that we have ever seen because I mean just go down the murderer's row of point guards in the Western Conference. I mean Lillard, Curry, Harden. I mean, the list goes on and on and on every single night. But you go out to the Eastern Conference, okay, Kyrie, okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had guys like Eric Bledsoe getting into the conversation for you know potential All Star guys uh, last year, and D'Angelo Russell did make it, and he never even would have been considered in the Western Conference. So I think Westbrook's uh, ability to kind of convince people that he's still a superstar level player, his ability to win games at a you know pretty good clip, play some meaningful basketball, make the playoffs, maybe even win a series. All of that is open to him if he goes to the East. So for him, he should be motivated. And of course, if you're Oklahoma City, why halfway rebuild? You know, yeah. What's the benefit of doing that? Yeah, it's funny, man. I mean, having had a few days to think about it after our emergency Kawhi Leonard podcast in the wake of that earthquake Friday night, I, you know... I actually, I regret, the only thing I regret from that podcast is sort of hemming and hawing as to whether OKC came out of that as winners. Because, man, you look at this and look at where the Thunder were. They were probably looking at sort of a first round ceiling, second round at the best. And to be able to come out of that with that war chest of picks from the Clippers and the Heat, which I think is actually a big win. Initially, when it was reported, I thought they were all Clippers picks. But now you have a little variety. So you're able to say, okay, well, if the Heat fall apart in the next few years, we're going to have that 2021 pick. The the 23 pick is lottery protected. But then the Clippers, there is some downside to the Clippers as well. And to have all those picks as you start out the rebuild is a huge win. And also, I think Paul George's demand kind of gives them cover to do something that Presti was probably already considering anyways. And uh, and it does feel like it's healthy for everyone to just sort of part ways at this point. The one question I have for you 
you know, I let off the podcast saying well, this gives us another thing to focus on during a, a sort of underwhelming summer league season. But as an NBA reporter, are you at all kind of just exhausted by the like constant churn of trade buzz and offseason activity here? Like, I feel like Russ is just a little bit like it's a bridge too far. Like my eyes are about to glaze over. Um, well, I do think, I mean, personally, my fatigue level, I don't know if that's relevant, but <laughs> no, I know, but I'm saying just like as a basketball observer, we've just had a lot. Like I just want Westbrook to end up on a new team by the end of this week. It's been a crazy couple of weeks, no question about it. And I think that if he is traded, that would be a major symbolic moment for all of these and all of this movement, right? Cause we've seen Kevin move before we've seen Paul George move before we've seen even Kawhi Leonard move a couple of times here in the last few years. But Westbrook has been one of those pillar guys where, yeah. you know, it's almost like the the, the Dirk Nowitzki type or the, the Tim Duncan type where it's like, oh, he's never going to leave. And I think that one of the lessons from this summer is that, like, those types of players may not exist anymore, right? Like, is it completely inconceivable that Damian Lillard three years from now would, you know, things would change? I mean, he's like kind of the last one left after Westbrook uh, when, when you're looking at some of these guys. And, of course, the rumor mill has already started around Giannis two years in advance. So, um I can't say that like my head is spinning so much I never saw this coming, but I do think that Presti's uh, ability to quickly pull the trigger, which I praised on the last podcast, um, one thing we forgot to mention, Paul George is somewhat damaged goods. I mean, yeah. multiple sh- shoulder surgeries, he may or may not be ready to go at the start of the season. So that just makes that war chest coming back that you're describing all the more impressive. And I think it also uh, you know, sets up Presti here, like you mentioned, perfectly to trade Westbrook with as little of a backlash as possible. And that's a real factor, um, given how much, I mean, Westbrook is idolized down there, mm-hmm. basically worshipped. And so I think that had Pressy never gotten the trade demand or request from Paul George, I think he rolls forward with that group as is and says, you know, if we get knocked out in the first round, so be it. We have to do right by Russ. Right. And I think that doing right by Russ here very quickly shifted over the last week. And I actually think, frankly, doing right by Russ is finding a market where he is going to be happy, finding a team where he will have a shot at, you know, potentially making it into the playoffs and then dealing him, uh, you know, without dragging this thing out. To me, that's the the way you do right by Russ at this point. And I know that's going to hurt Thunder fans to hear, but I think that there's already, you know, some of them who kind of get it, right? Yeah, I, I think that's probably where a lot of Thunder fans are when you when you look at what Russ would be capable of this season. Even if, if you brought the entire team back, they traded Jeremy Grant to the Nuggets, which actually is a sneaky good move for Denver because I think he... Yeah, not sneaky. That's just a good move. Yeah, that's actually going to really help them. And then you look at... Yeah. The, would, would you rather have Jeremy Grant on his one-year bargain contract or Bojan on four-year 72? Yeah, the Bojan deal. We need to revisit that uh, <laughs> toward the end of the podcast. But I'm with you. It's crazy the way all of this has happened. I think it, if Westbrook was on the block last summer, it would have been a massive, massive story if he were on the block... Next summer, it would also be a massive story, but on the heels of the landscape shifting that we saw with Kawhi, with Anthony Davis. And just the heels of his season. That's the thing. It's kind of like a moment of truth as far as where Westbrook stands in the new NBA pecking order. And I think some of that is a little bit unfortunate because he did tailor his game to help Paul George this year. And I I think he did a good job doing the little things and letting Paul George be the leader. And then when PG got hurt down the stretch, 
that sort of lowered their ceiling as a collective. And, and it was unfortunate because I, I liked the way Russ was playing. And some of the way he was playing was by necessity because he couldn't hit a jump shot for like nine months this season, which is another reason to be a little bit wary going forward. But I feel like we're burying the lead. Where the hell is Westbrook going to end up? Well, I already mentioned where I think he needs to go. It's the Eastern Conference. I think that the teams that have kind of emerged from the rumor mill have been the Heat and the Pistons, and those are the exact type of teams that should look for him. I mean, I'm thinking also of like the Charlotte Hornet types, right, where you're firmly in that third or fourth tier. Uh, You really have no path to significantly increasing your standing in the Eastern Conference. Uh, You are not a destination market at this point for – whoever would be the biggest names for next summer. And next summer's you know names aren't great. Uh-huh. You've been treading water for long enough where there's sort of a fatigue factor with your fan base set in, where they're willing to say, you know what, we don't care about $170 million uh, and the potential risks of that. Like, Just give us something to cheer for and give us a reason to show up. And so I think those are the types of teams that I would be targeting. And if I was those teams, I would value Westbrook more highly than I would if I was a Western Conference team. Like some people were linking the Rockets into that mix. If I was the Rockets, I would be viewing Westbrook almost as a negative asset because his contract is so huge. Taking him on uh, with Harden as well is going to limit you so severely. And the, the t- together, those guys are not going to be able to win the West, right? Yeah. So, I- so I basically would be a non-starter. But if I was a team in the Eastern Conference. I'm definitely phone call with Sam Presti. Now, personally, I think my philosophy would be I don't want to touch Westbrook with a 10-foot pole. Uh, he plays with purpose. He doesn't play with a purpose. That's going to travel to any zip code. doesn't matter if he's in the 305 or, or Detroit or wherever it might be. Yeah. But I would bash one of those executives a lot less than I would if a Western Conference executive took him on. I'm with you. We got a funny email from Raj, uh, who's a Rockets fan, who said, I might just have to become a Pelicans fan if and when the Rockets actually trade for Russell Westbrook. There's just no way I can justify the all the years of Russ bashing that I've done on the internet. It would make Lindsey Graham look principled. Uh, well, the good thing is, Raj, there's actually programs now that can do mass deletes for, <laughs> for all your past tweets. So if you've been going in on Westbrook for like, you know, uh, three straight years worth of like MVP and All NBA and All Star debates. You can just with one click just it's wipe true. that from the internet. So and and you know at the same time you could tweet out a welcome to H Town Russ. I mean I'm sure <laughs> sure he would appreciate that. Yeah, you can be whoever you want on the internet. That's the best thing and the worst thing about it. Um, I agree though that the East is wide open enough so that I would understand if a team like Miami look they're already paying Jimmy Butler which sort of puts a ceiling on what they're going to do over the next few years. Um, and I would understand if they, they looked at that and said, all right, well, let's go get Russ too. Let's finish in the fourth spot or maybe finish third in the East and see what we can do playing bully ball in the playoffs. I mean, the fit with them is obviously not clean. I think there are going to be a lot of people who are like probably a little bit too down on the fit uh, if that trade actually goes through. Well, it's not a good fit. Well, it's it's not, but they're still going to be pretty solid in the East and will have a higher floor than people want to acknowledge if they get Russ. See, what I love about this conversation is it just forces the show versus AAA framing, right? Yeah. Doesn't it really? I mean, it does. And you, speaking of which, look, as a Wizards fan... I would do the John Wall for Russell Westbrook deal. Well, I posed that one to you on the last podcast, and you did not hesitate. <laughs> you were you were in pretty quick. But the Wizards are another good example of a team that I mentioned, like third, fourth tier in the, in the Eastern Conference, no real hope of jumping up, in need of something for a fan base to cheer for. You, you, you ride it for two years, 
And then, at, you know, after that point, you try to just auction off his contract. Well, and you might be able to keep Beal in that scenario too, which is part of what appeals to me. You would probably have to throw in a first, maybe two firsts, to right. actually get the deal done. And I'm willing to do all that because the alternative is just wandering in the wilderness without any sort of direction or identity. At least that's where the Wizards are currently. So, I don't know. By the same token, I've texted that proposal to a few people in the league and have gotten consistent LOL, LMAO responses. Oh, boy. So, I don't think anybody is taking the the wizard seriously as a potential rust destination. Well, here's here's one possible reason why. Maybe this isn't why they're sending you mocking text because like that's just fun to do uh, yeah maybe they don't know whether i'm serious or not but i am but i i also think though and this is one of my theories that i don't have this isn't reported i just think that relationship between westbrook and presti goes back far enough that i think westbrook's gonna have a pretty loud voice in these trade talks right like it's not like it's a uh you know sign and trade scenario where some you know the player actually has a lot of say on where he gets to go uh-huh but i do think that Presti feels very loyal to Westbrook and vice versa because they've been there, you know, in kind of in tandem for more than a decade. And without Westbrook, you know, who knows where that organization is after all these other guys have left Kevin Durant, Paul George, James Harden, like the list goes on and on. Right. So I think that he will get to have a say in his in in his decision about maybe where the trade goes to and not to be a jerk. Washington's pretty low on my list of priorities if I'm Westbrook, right? Like if well, you're ranking them relative to what though? Obviously Miami right. fits for a lot of reasons. I think Russ can show up at Art Basel with uh, Jimmy Butler. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but like I think he'll it's have Basel. A, yeah, he'll have a great little life down in Miami, regardless of what they win. Well, that's what I was getting at. And so then you compare that to say charlotte or detroit or you know and then where does washington washington fall? is above charlotte and detroit are you sure yes based absolutely. on what based on bradley beal based on washington what, being thomas a bryant city uh yeah but I, it gets a little dicey after no, that, bradley beal. that's sort of where i'm getting so it's about westbrook's priorities i think that lifestyle definitely is going to be one of them but i also think he has to kind of sell the illusion of winning right yeah so beal is an attractive piece on that roster the rest of the roster, though, is in a really, really dire shape. And so it, I think it would be difficult for me if I was Westbrook to look at the Wizards roster and say, if Wall and Beal are kind of struggling to tread water there for a while, now I'm going to go there with Beal. They've lost all these other veteran guys over the summer. Um, there's a whole bunch of players I've never even heard of who were you know, earlier today losing to the Brooklyn Nets in summer league. Yeah. Like, those would be pretty major concerns where if I look at Detroit's roster, it's like, all right, well, at least they have Blake. You know? Yeah. What I wonder about, though, is whether we are penciling in, because basically, as we talk through this, Miami is the option that makes the most sense, and then everything else is kind of like a a tougher sell for a number of different reasons, depending on what team we're talking about. And I'm just always kind of wary when the entire NBA media decides that everything is going to end in a certain direction. I mean, we kind of did this with Kawhi and the Lakers like 10 days ago. No, I mean, we get stuff wrong a lot. Yeah, and so I just feel like there may be a curveball baked into this story that nobody really sees at this point. Well, the Knicks feel like another curveball because, again, like you're able to sell that if you're Westbrook in a different way where it's like, all right, head-to-head, same city with Kevin Durant, Mm -hmm. bigger stage, massive limelight, you know, all the stuff you're talking about with the fashion, obviously in New York, that would be a big deal. Um, yeah, fashion he would, week all year long when he Russ would, shows up on he the He would Knicks. probably start the All-Star game because of the Knicks fans voting him in. So there's some benefits there. And then maybe, you know, you go forward in the next season, all those team options come up and you've got 
the chance to go get a second guy to pair with him. I mean, it would be a different sales pitch. Uh, but I guess we're going to learn a lot from what Westbrook really wants. It would also be self-parody if you're the Knicks to, to strike out on the free agents you actually want and then bet big on Russell Westbrook with $200 million left on his deal as his body is declining. And, I mean, it like the jokes kind of write themselves on that one, and I think... Right. Like, we wouldn't give Kevin Durant the max, but we're going to take Westbrook <laughs> yeah, like, for four years and 170. I actually think the Knicks may be smarter than that, and the same logic applies to the Heat, where they're going to try and go chase free agents in a year or two, and Zach Lowe said this on his podcast over the weekend, where... It may make sense for them to try to chase free agents with Jimmy Butler as the only star there rather than bringing Russ in and trying to sell guys on the Russ-Jimmy partnership as like something that they want to tether the rest of their careers to. Yeah, I do think if you're trading for Westbrook, you're basically saying we're... I feel like he's superstar repellent. Yeah. You know, so it's like he's their guy. If you're going to get him for at least the next couple of years, you're not going to be able to use him to lure a third guy. That's just very unlikely. You decided it was time to upgrade your outdoor deck. So you got all the essentials to do it. You ordered a power washer, a set of patio chairs, and a shiny new grill. And you used your Bank of America Cash Rewards credit card, choosing to earn 3% cash back on online shopping and up to 5.25% as a preferred rewards member, which you put towards your most essential deck addition, a bird feeder. Apply for yours at bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Copyright 2020, Bank of America Corporation. After the trip, I drove my van back with all my equipment. I could hear a little bit of whimpering and crying. When Eldon Kidd, a father of five running rafting tours through Mexico, found two Guatemalan girls stowed away in the back of his tour van one night, it changed his life forever. They pleaded with me, can you bring us to the border? I agreed. And I thought, can I do this again somehow? From the team behind American Skyjacker comes an epic new crime series, American Coyote. Being a coyote is a dangerous and illegal business. You have to be prepared for the worst. The unbelievable tale of a legendary coyote named Eldon Kidd. American Coyote. Listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. What about Minnesota and Chicago as potential dark horses? Um, I'm more intrigued by the idea of Chicago. I feel like Minnesota... That breaks your no Western Conference rule because the West is already too deep and it'd be a waste of time. It doesn't, but more than that, I think that every move that they do needs to be revolving around what's best for Carl Anthony Towns. And I don't see how Westbrook is, you know, good for Carl Anthony Towns well, basically in any way. You, you make that, that team more relevant. Okay, I think playing, we, we just saw what happened when you had a domineering, ball-dominant guard <laughs> go to Minnesota, and it turned into like basically civil war. And I think so. A lot of the similar problems as from the Jim Lee Butler experience would be repeated with Westbrook. And I also just think that like he is not going to age well. And I, I know you've made this point like you don't have to have everyone's ages aligned, but I don't see why you would try to you know have towns entering into his prime when you're getting sort of this tail end version of Westbrook to me I don't like that at all if I were them I would rather rather just wait and try to get back in on the D'Angelo thing that may be a better play that makes sense to me but at the same time 
you got to put pieces around Cat at some point, and you talk about what's best for Cat. What's best for a player like that is to play games that actually matter, and he hasn't been doing that for the past few seasons. And certainly last year after losing Jimmy, like the season was basically over in November. And at some I know, point... I but like who makes more of a mockery of the regular season what? than Westbrook? I mean... How so? I mean, come on. <laughs> Three straight triple-double averages. You feel like those were genuinely earned? Well, I mean, look, those OKC teams had a number of great regular seasons, but I'm uh, not here to stand out for Westbrook. I know. Well, great in the, the Eastern Bulls, Conference parlance is what? 46 wins? That counts for great out there? If the because they've had some great regular seasons by that standard, but Zach not Levine. great regular seasons. <laughs> I, the Bulls, I would like that idea. I don't know whether they want to pay uh, pay Westbrook what it will cost to do business with that, him and build a team around him over the next few years. And again, they have a nice young core, and maybe they don't want to jeopardize that. But um, look, Sato can always move to the two if you're trading Zach Levine, slide him in and go win 50 games and finish in fourth place in the East. That would be an upgrade over where the Bulls have been over the past few years. Maybe that can work. I don't know. Yeah, I think I would prefer Charlotte in that scenario. Well, people keep throwing out Charlotte. Okay. <laughs> well, That have... would be so depressing for well, everyone involved. These already, are all depressing. This is already depressing. We should about, move on in a if second. If you talk about any, any of the teams in the Eastern Conference besides the top two, it's depressing, okay? Yeah. So that's just number but one. But like, Include... who's he playing with in Charlotte? Jeremy Lamb went to Indiana. I don't even know who their best right. player is right I mean, now. Uh, their best player Terry Rozier is the Rozier. lottery pick the yeah. 2019 lottery pick 31 year old lottery pick um, <laughs> yeah so you'd have sort of an interchangeable backcourt you would be able, I mean the main reason why they're getting thrown in is because they have a lot of you know, large expiring contracts so that deal is like fairly easy to manufacture in the trade machine yeah. you have the Michael Jordan Jordan brand factor uh, you've got the idea that that fan base needs something to cheer for and would be willing to look past uh, Westbrook's warts more than almost any other fan base out there, you know, given whatever's left of them. And, mm. I mean, that would be the... The it, darkest timeline. I mean, look, that idea yeah. makes me want to just drink paint thinner. So Right. I mean, it would also be awful to not offer Kemba the Supermax and then turn right around and trade for four years 170 of Westbrook. Oh. But the thing is, I, I when I look at these uh, trade scenarios... The people that I home home in on are the most desperate owners, right? Or the guys who are the most clueless. Uh-huh. And I think I, we give Riley a little bit of a pass in this conversation just because, you know, there's, you know, some South Beach allure there. But otherwise, that's that's who the list should be because, you know, taking on 170 for him over the next four years is a gigantic risk. And I think when you look at Michael Jordan and Mitch Kupchak and their track record over the last couple of years together— this would be right in their wheelhouse. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps. And I think one of the things that does work in OKC's favor in all this is if they can get a pick back on the back end, you know, shorting the next couple years of Westbrook's prime or, you know, twilight is not a bad idea. So maybe that's the way OKC will be able to get yeah. back value in this deal. Or, the idea or even him, just pick swaps. I mean, yeah, right? totally. And the idea of them just dumping him for bad contracts strikes me as implausible. Um, and that's been thrown out there yeah. a lot. I mean, I, I think I would have felt that way 48 hours ago, but the more I've really thought about it, it's like I could see that happening. You know? I get, he's not John Wall, though. He's still an all NBA level player. No, he's not. Well, yeah, I mean, he made all NBA this year. Uh, but he's not an all-NBA-level player. I mean. Well, all right. 
even if you want to argue that semantic point, he's an all-star who can go help you win 45 yeah. to 50 games. I'm not sure he would make the all-star team in the Western Conference uh, if the fame part <laughs> of it wasn't um, you know, an aspect. I, I do think that we need to be my, – my point here is we need to be adjusting for anticipated decline because the yeah. decline was pretty steep last year. It wasn't just a matter of him playing smarter and deferring. It was that – he wasn't able to do a lot of the things that he's been doing for a long time and he was struggling to adjust to it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, his playoff performance, we've been over it time and again, but that was, you know, pretty, yeah. pretty, pretty rough. Well, all of this is getting darker than I even expected. I knew it would be a dark conversation. So let's move on. Uh, the darkest part is how much you want him on the Wizards. That's the really the darkest part. I know. And it's, you know, you just have to look in the mirror and consider the alternatives. I would feel better about saying no to any sort of Westbrook deal if the team had any current, like, coherent direction. Um, but at the moment, we're kind of just spinning our wheels. So why not, you know, take a shot on Russ. Throw in a 2023 first. Let's get this deal done. Call it in. How great is it that his slogan, why not, his, like, life mantra, <laughs> has become the only real justification that a lot of fan bases are using Absolutely. to trade for him. It's That's just poetic. Very, very true. All right, so at the top of this podcast, before we began recording, you looked at the Russ down and said what are we just not going to double back and talk Zion because we didn't get to talk very much about him and his debut on Friday night so here you go the floor is yours what are your Zion takes I'd like to open this up to just five minutes of uh pure trashing of young players when you look at this last week I would even say Zion included there wasn't a lot to get really really excited about from their on-court performance. Mm-hmm. And I think that you were one of the people banging the drum, oh, this is kind of a weak rookie class. And we're really only seeing like half of it here in Summer League, if that. But the main guys did not take the event by storm. Let's put it that way. I mean, Zion only played nine minutes. We're not going to overreact to that. I, I think he was four of nine from the field. All four makes were dunks. Um, you know, I we had spent all year talking about, oh, he's a positionless player and like he's more than a dunker and all of that. And I think he struggled with NBA length, um, you know, in, the, in his summer league debut. I think that his confidence with his outside shot was not there. Maybe he was a little bit nervous. He was playing in front of a lot of people, um, a, a really hyped up crowd. Obviously, he did kind of punk Kevin Knox for sort of the highlight play of the night. Yeah. But the all-around Zion experience that I'm still waiting to see in person because the only two times we've seen him play, he got injured both times. Uh, we haven't we haven't gotten that yet, and you know it's not like a five alarm red flag fire or whatever you want to say. But uh, I guess I left you know his debut obviously feeling bad about the injury for sure, but also just kind of like wanting more. Yeah, well, and again, we should be wary of overanalyzing nine minutes of Zion Williamson at summer league. But at the same time, every worry that existed with him on the way into the draft was validated right like put it this way there wasn't the people who are like pro zion stance who could come out and say that's why everybody was wrong right well and it's funny talking to people here everyone is rooting for zion everyone believes in zion but you have a conversation about how he looked on friday night and after like 90 seconds with whoever you're talking to one of the people will bring up like you know he looked a little bit out of shape it looked a little bit overweight like usually i'm trying to search for a euphemism and not say the word fat yeah he was gassed right yeah he was gassed after a couple minutes on the floor 
and he just looked heftier, there's your euphemism, uh, than he did at Duke. Thicker. At thicker, thicker. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it, it is something that I worry about as he transitions to the next level. Like, injuries are going to be a concern. His knees holding up are going to be a concern. And it's not great that he showed up to Summer League looking even heavier than he was at Duke. And I hope that it's sort of an awakening for the Pelicans. They had like 25 assistant coaches uh, and, and staffers around them. How about the, all those matching polo shirts? They, yeah, it was it was They crazy. were rolling deep. They were a flock. <laughs> it man. was a nation state of Pelicans people uh, watching Zion's debut. And I hope all of them came away from that saying, all right, well... We're not worried about Zion, but we do want to get him training aggressively so that his body holds up at the next level. Because I think if he loses 20, 25 pounds, he will be much better equipped to handle what's next. Yeah, I mean, a big part of my, the the problem with my analysis, I was coming in with such huge inflated expectations. I was all in on the hype. The crowd was just absolutely incredible. And having him just not play the second half took the air out of the building. I mean, every, you know, people were leaving early. Obviously, the earthquake happened, which sent a lot of people home <laughs> at that point. Uh, but there was the we want Zion chance from the crowd. I, and I just left the building kind of feeling bad. Like anyone who paid scalped prices for that, and they got screwed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, rough, rough business decision if you paid $400 to see Zion's NBA debut. And that's not how I wanted it to go. And so it was just a little bit disappointing. I'm not, you know, rushing to any judgments off of this. But I think that... All of the questions about Zion that have been lingering uh, are still there after Summer League, and the fact that he only played one game uh, is going to be, you know, it just kind of puts his rookie season almost off to an ominous start. Well, and it's just a reminder that we should talk about him in more nuanced terms than, like, this guy is going to come in the next LeBron. The next LeBron. Yeah. yeah, like, there, it's going to be a more interesting story than that. I think there's a lot of reasons to believe in him and believe in what he can do. But at the same time, the length did bother him. And some of that is Mitchell Robinson, by the way. Mitchell Robinson looked awesome. Um, And look, Zion, if we want to really break down those nine minutes, he looked very shaky for about four or five minutes. The Pelicans took a timeout, and he came out of that timeout and dunked all over the Knicks for the ensuing five minutes. He had a block that like was sent into the fifth row that was ultimately called a goaltending, but it was still awesome, so I don't really care. He punked Kevin Knox and made him look like an eighth grader. So there's still going to be plenty to love about Zion. It's just going to be interesting to see how he navigates um, answering some of the questions. And I think some of my other disappointment is more of a general disappointment that extends beyond him. I mean, I think I was pretty jazzed up to see R.J. Barrett. You know, we, we kind of have heard the lines, all right, NBA spacing is going to help him out. He's kind of been this like, you know, uh, you know, fashioned to be a, a pro by his father for his, you know, his entire childhood and all of this. And I think his start, both against the Pelicans, but then also in his second game, revealed some real concerns. You know, like his quickness off the dribble, getting into the paint, getting high quality looks around the basket, um, wasn't really happening. Yeah. Uh, shot selection. I mean, I I love how confident he is, and he always wants the ball. He always wants it in his hands. It's not like he's breaking the offense to do it. Um, but he's also thinks he can hit shots that he can't hit <laughs> well, at a high enough clip to be as, like a really big time impact NBA player. And I think he was filling, you know, filling in things around the edges a little bit with some defensive plays um, and also hitting the glass. But that really electric lead offensive playmaker, the type of guy the Knicks are going to need him to be, 
um, you know, at some point, maybe not immediately because they're just not going to be very good next year. Uh-huh. But like sometime soon, they're going to need him to be that alpha. Um, I, you know, it, he seemed a long way away from that. Yeah, and I would be lying if I said that I've been like locked into the summer Knicks over the last few days. But I will say one thing that is a little bit worrisome would be that he's not really popping when he's out there. And um, he's out there with guys who are not going to be in the NBA. And you look at yeah, the he's, Knicks. He's working hard to turn the corner. I mean, that's and then once he gets there, you know, his his elevation, his ability to kind of like, you know, hang longer than defenders so that he can kind of get a little layup it's not really there. So he's taking a lot of contested stuff in traffic, low percentage shots. And, you know, what do you know? He's hitting a low percentage of them. Yeah. The the other thing that has bummed me out is no Darius Garland. I knew that was expected, um, but I would have loved to have watched Garland this, this week. I, I talked to somebody in a front office about Garland and they were like, you know, I remember really liking him in high school and, and believing in him as a shooter. And maybe he could be like Damian Lillard light and once the draft got here, I realized, like, oh, I just haven't seen this guy for a year and a half. And I think that's true for a lot of people around the NBA where no one is sure what to make of Garland because he's been kind of off the radar. He got hurt at Vandy. He didn't work out for basically anyone in the advance of the draft. And uh, so we'll have to wait and see what he turns into. But with that, Ben, what do you think about revisiting the Kawhi situation? Let's do it. I mean, just to tie a bow on the the summer league stuff, I'm not even sure of the rookies who I would say has been the best rookie so far. And that usually doesn't happen after like four days of games, like somebody emerges, right? Um, And so especially among the lottery guys, a lot of them aren't here, but it just almost feels like it's an empty class. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's never a good sign. That's, you know, I I don't know if that's going to carry over into the regular season or not, but uh, I think it's something that has to be acknowledged. Like there's a reason why we're doubling back to Kawhi right now yeah <laughs> because there's nobody who we're here to ready to gush over well and also the Kawhi thing was just so massive that there's a lot to kind of wrap our arms around um Barack says after binging the weekend's torrent of Kawhi emergency pods I'm pretty shocked with the growing media consensus that Kawhi is now the best player in basketball it was the perfect storm last season. KD got injured, LeBron got old, and of course Kawhi won a championship. But all of this feels like recency bias. It's precisely because of how magical that run was that we should be wary of crowning him as the best player in the league. Kawhi needed a four-bound shot, injuries to KD and Clay, and even being traded to a one-seed that also included Danny Green and Marcus Saul, an improvement from Pascal Siakam to win the championship. Kawhi is terrific, don't get me wrong, but he's not the best player in the league. My question for you guys is, who is the best player in the league? What do you think of all that? No, I think there's a lot of truth to what he's saying. I mean, I think I was pretty careful throughout the whole thing to describe Kawhi as the best player during the playoffs, yeah, as opposed to the best player in a vacuum, which is a different conversation. I think, unfortunately, the the crop of players who you want to potentially prop up over Kawhi, this is a difficult time to do it, and maybe it will become easier by August, but he did just beat Steph head-to-head. Obviously, you could say he had more help and fewer injuries around him, but that did happen. Mm-hmm. He did you know, beat Embiid and Giannis head-to-head, um, and in both cases was the deciding factor of those series. LeBron, uh, who might try to sneak into this conversation still, 
wasn't even in the playoffs. And then you've got Kevin Durant, who's, you know, got this uh, serious season-ending injury basically for next year, where he's the guy who I probably would have made the argument for over Kawhi, but he's basically out of the running, right? So you go by default, Kawhi has got a, got a case as the best player in basketball. Um, it, it depends on what you value. It depends on how much you care about, you know, availability being the greatest ability during the regular season. Um, it depends on how much you uh, factor peak sustained play during the playoffs versus overall play over an 82 game sample yeah um but i think he's got a pretty strong case and i don't have one guy in particular now that durant's been injured who i feel very passionately should be over him all right so you're kind of lord of the rankings though are you saying that Kawhi is going to enter next season as your number one it's possible. Still in deliberations. I'm, oh, I'm not going to give it away on a podcast <laughs> on July 8th. Uh, no, I think it's definitely possible he could be number one. Because I think if we're honoring the integrity of the process, okay. your top 100 is meant to reflect the top 100 players in the season to come. Yep. I feel like that answer is different than the number one player this summer. Because For look, sure. no, you're meant- an insane person if you're sitting here second-guessing what Kawhi did in the playoffs and where that puts him in the hierarchy right now. Because he should be number one. Because look, bounces in game seven or not, the playoffs matter. Like the games matter. And coming through in those moments, are that's kind of the whole deal. Right, and it's not like he had some, you know, some path where he didn't have to go through a lot of these guys yeah. like he gets to be viewed as the king of the mountain but yeah the the forward looking pro- uh, part of the process makes it difficult i think Giannis has a really strong case i mean if you're saying who do you trust the most over an 82 game season to put up crazy numbers to lead a winning team to contribute to winning to make a deep postseason run to have a high impact on offense and defense to be a good leader you know all the things that i look at mm-hmm. Giannis has a pretty bulletproof case i think steph has a really good case as he mentioned i'd be a little bit nervous about you know him potentially missing some time i don't think we should write lebron out of this conversation i don't uh, either quite yet yeah um but i don't you know i, I think this is going to take some some real thought i mean this is going to be the longest debate at number one I've had since I've ever done the list and I spent a, a lot of time debating KD versus LeBron last year and you know going back eight years you know prior to that it was always a, a slam dunk you know LBJ mm-hmm. yeah and if we're talking recency bias I think even beyond the kind of pointless argument over who's number one in the league which like you can have a lot of different answers there and there are a lot of valid directions to take that conversation but to me the reaction to what the Clippers have done and looking at them as the clear-cut title favorites headed into next season does feel a little bit like we're all getting caught up in recency bias here, in part because Kawhi did spend two months looking like he's Michael Jordan, and he was unbelievable during that playoff run. But I wonder whether we would think about him differently if they had lost in the second round insofar as you know wondering how much his health should be factored into the way we project the rest of his career what he did in the finals was so impressive that we've just kind of stopped asking those questions yeah i'm not even sure it was just the finals i mean he had a great run all the way through and I, i i it's a great hypothetical if they lose in the second round, would Paul George be willing to leave Oklahoma City? Would he be receptive to Kawhi's pitch to join me on the Clippers? And even if they did that, even if they got Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, if Kawhi had lost in the second round, we would say, we'll see what happens. That's a gamble you make every single time. Right. I understand why the Clippers did it. But instead, after that title, the reaction is, 
oh my God, can you believe what the Clippers have built and what they're going right. to do over the next three years? That I'm not ready to take that leap. So, I mean, I'm going to kind of repeat some of my same arguments from before. I'm not sure that either one of these things is necessarily an evidence totally of recency bias. I also think it's evidence of a lack of great op- uh, alternatives. Yeah. Just like with the MVP conversation where you can kind of poke holes in any of these other candidates because Kawhi beat them because they're not as good on defense, like say a LeBron James or whatever else. There is no, you know, true, strong, like bulletproof challenger. And it's the same deal in the uh, the championship picture. I think that people should not get hung up on this idea of are the Clippers the favorites or not. They're not the overwhelming favorites. No. They're not going to be entering the season with all storylines revolving around them. I think the storyline for the Western Conference is, you know, seven teams think they can win the title. And to me, that's a pretty compelling storyline. And it says, you know, congratulations, Clippers, you're in the mix and you may actually get the respect factor because you had the biggest summer but nobody's crowning them yet. Like yeah. it would still be very impressive and somewhat surprising if they actually wound up and you know winning the title. And we never would have said that about Golden State heading into last season. Like who would have been surprised if they won the title? No. Zero people. So it's a it's totally apples and oranges to me. I think that there is some recency bias at play, but I don't think that's the main factor driving either one of these situations. Okay. Um, yeah, because I look at the Clippers roster, Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, like those guys are great when you're winning 43 to 48 games and getting excited about a team that's overachieving. But if the goal is winning 55 or 60, like there are some questions there as well. And the, the Lou Williams cost-benefit analysis may be a little bit more interesting this year, um, even though Lou Williams is my guy through and through for years now. Landry Shamit, like he's great when he's outperforming his rookie draft spot but like if he's going to be starting at shooting guard or or playing 30 minutes a game like let's wait and see what he can actually do in that role no i hear you i still like their roster better than anybody's i mean if you go too deep at every position whose roster do you like better top i like jamichael green a lot zubach though is another one where it's like yeah like he was he was fine but i mean he was more fun to use as like making fun of magic exactly. johnson he was like, like a cudgel in any any lakers argument no, you were having i'm just saying one to ten like who has a better more intriguing like you know roster i'd say you could put utah you could maybe put denver yeah uh, into that mix well and i wrote this today i think what it comes down to is basically it's all on Kawhi's health and it's all on paul george's health because those two guys are absolutely incredible and and the fit with them is incredible Kawhi is the best alpha on earth right now and uh and that i don't think is controversial Kawhi at his peak is exactly who you'd want to close games with and paul george may be the best secondary player we have in the nba both of those guys can guard and uh they're going to be a major major problem for teams if we get to the playoffs what i will say though and this is all kind of a wind up to my prevailing take after thinking about this for the last 96 hours is that the Clippers are not as good as everyone is saying right now and not as dominant. The gap between them and anyone else is not nearly as big as it may have seemed at times over the weekend. And the Lakers are not as hopeless as they looked as they were cycling through the bargain bin on Friday night and giving $15 million to Danny Green and Contavious Caldwell Pope, you know, cashing out. Contavious Caldwell Pope is going to end his career on like the Fortune 500 list somehow, thanks to Rich Paul and LeBron James. But my concern with the Lakers, though, is okay, playoff readiness. How many of these guys can really defend at a high level? And I include LeBron in that question because one part that I like about the Clippers is I can see them functioning in the playoffs as an elite offense 
and an elite defense. And I don't see any way the Lakers can function as an elite defense in the postseason when you're looking at their center options being really rough. So you're probably going to have to play Davis a lot at center. Mm-hmm. And that means you're, you know, you're counting on major contributions from a lot of other minus defenders uh, that they've assembled sort of on the wing. Um, don't try to talk me into Avery Bradley. I mean, that guy's I been... I know. That guy's Isn't it been, amazing? He's been done for two years. So, and you go through a lot of their moves, whether it's Rondo. Like, he had a defensive reputation five years ago. Well, he doesn't have one anymore. KCP, to me, is not like this, you know, big-time playoff uh, defensive player. So... That, it's also funny, like, Kuzma's not great. <laughs> no, not at all. I respect that they kept him on as sort of like an ornament of the Kobe era and the rebuilding era. And- uh, he's a really good offensive fit with LeBron. But again, that's I think that the Lakers have a chance to be a lot more entertaining than the haters from this summer, now yeah. that they miss on Kawhi, would be willing to acknowledge. I'm just not sure there's the substance to back it up once they get to the playoffs with this particular group. And I would just be, I would feel much uh, safer betting on the Clippers as a postseason threat to a lot of these other teams that are sort of bringing back some continuity than I would with the Lakers, especially because, you know, the vocal factor is kind of hanging over all of this. And like, I don't know if you saw him shake hands with LeBron James and, and Anthony Davis at Summer League, but I mean, he almost looked like half as sheepish as Brandon Ingram. Yeah. You know, it was like he was introducing himself or something. Vogel is going to have a hard job, man. I mean, there are a lot of kind of misfit pieces that he's going to have to find a way to make fit. And um, we'll see how it goes. I should add a correction here. I believe the Fortune 500 is a list dedicated to corporations. Oh, KCP is not a corporation? No, I think he's going to end up on the Forbes list. So Forbes list, Kentavious, uh, holding K- holding it down for yet another year in K- Los Angeles. KCP, C-O-R-P? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but the my, my main thing with the Lakers is that people are forgetting how amazing Anthony Davis is. You made this point six months ago, and it's another one where I wish, uh, you know, you actually got one right. Yeah. So like really he, underscore, what's he going to be able to do next year? He is just incredible. And you go back to some of the seasons he had in New Orleans and some of the people he was playing with, like as a running mate with... <laughs> well, he's going to be playing with some of those same guys. <laughs> well, he will be. He will be. But he's also going to be playing with LeBron James, who I think has one more elite season season in him and you run down the the list of teams that are going to be contending for a title a lot of people have sent this tweet over the last like 72 hours like the nba is a league of duos now and it's hard to beat a lebron james anthony davis duo a great Kawhi and paul george are healthy i would probably lean toward Kawhi and paul george but it's close and Anthony Davis has a higher ceiling than just about anybody LeBron has ever played with. And um, for that reason, I'm not writing them off whatsoever here. I mean, if, particularly if AD plays his best version of defense, uh, they're going to have a really high floor. And I think we were joking the other night, like, are they going to make the playoffs, this or that? The, the worst version of this season could get very dark because if LeBron has another groin injury, and even when he no. came back, he didn't look healthy They could year. definitely miss the playoffs. They could. And that says something about the Western Conference, but I think it also says something about their balance, offense, defense, and their depth. And how much they're relying on LeBron, who we saw look mortal for the first time in his 15-year career last season. And that's relevant. Right. I the, To me, the healthy sign that things are going well for the Lakers is that if Anthony Davis is the NBA scoring leader. Like, I think that should be their I goal. I think it's not beyond the realm of possibility for him to just go win MVP next year. It's definitely possible. So I'm looking at the list of like NBA like scoring leaders year by year. 
I mean, Shaq is basically the last big to lead the league in scoring. I mean, that's going all the way back to 2000. Yeah. Otherwise, it's been perimeter guys or forwards. Um, if I was LA, that's what I'd be going for because that would tell me you're playing at a pace that suits Anthony Davis. You're keeping him as actively involved as possible. LeBron is taking a little bit of a sidestep back in terms of his own scoring, setting up Anthony Davis, really allowing him to flourish and making him sort of, you know, feeling like a co-star rather than a secondary star. That's the most important thing that can happen for the Lakers this season. That's how they're going to achieve the ceiling that you're describing. Yeah. If Anthony Davis is the clear-cut number two guy, then I really don't like this Lakers team. Right, and I assume that we're going to see Anthony Davis put together a monster season to help hold all of this together. And we're going to need LeBron to do the same thing, which he has made routine for the majority of his career. I mean... He came out that he's going to be starting at point guard. He's basically been the focal point of every offense he's ever been involved in. So that's not necessarily as like earth-shattering as the, the news might make it seem. Right, and that was also just pragmatic because you had Rondo who, you you know, he's a veteran, so he's going to feel like he should start over their other point guards. So you need to address the Rondo question. But you also have the Kuzma logjam where if LeBron is like penciled in as your three or your four, like something has to give and you either have to start small with Davis at the five or Kuzma kind of gets lost in the shuffle or, you you know, you have this weird kind of positional. Yeah. Uh, it's weird to me that they kept Kuzma as a three. Like it seems like that's where he's going to spend most of his time. It's not where I would want to play him yeah. if I had a choice. I mean, I feel like he's going to play. I don't like their centers, first of all. So I think that their best lineups are going to be Davis at the five, Kuzma at the four. And then two wings, and then LeBron as like the ostensible point guard. Yeah. So I guess defensively, then that says Kuzma is either your three or your four. But I think you'll probably have LeBron play more four defensively. So yeah, Kuzma's you know winds up guarding threes, and that could be an adventure for him. Yeah. Um. We'll we'll see. I'm I'm willing to give them all the benefit of the doubt for now, as far as like being closer to the middle of the West than the bottom of the West. And for a minute over the weekend, a lot of people were talking about the Lakers like they struck out and this was it. I don't think that's going to be the end of the story. And I think, you know, put the Clippers and the Lakers on the same court for seven games, that would be a closer series than we want to acknowledge. Like the difference between the Clippers supporting cast and the Lakers supporting cast is not vast enough to make that just a blowout. Um I take Clippers in six. How about you? I would say Clippers in seven on yeah. that one. So on that one, I, I just default to the idea that you've got two really good options if you're the Clippers to throw on LeBron, like yeah. basically the two best options in the league. And I'm not sure you have a single good option on the Lakers roster to throw on Kawhi or Paul George. Yeah, but who do you throw on Anthony Davis? You know, Montrez yeah. is six seven. Zubach is, is seven feet but was useless in the playoffs. Right. No, it's a tricky question, but I mean, we've also seen Davis have one good playoff series his entire career. Yeah. So, you know. Okay. And he did beast some, like, you know, uh, below average bigs in that Portland series, and so that's sort of how they were able to do it, but they also had a lot of success, you know, winning the matchup game against Damian Lillard and Portland's lead guards. I'm not sure the Lakers are going to have a similar level of success winning any other matchup besides Davis. So where do you see them finishing in the West right now? Uh, I would, I mean, first of all, I don't think the Clippers are going to be the one seed because I do think they're going to load manage. So yeah. I, I, I think you're right to say they need to be lower than the hype. Um, like if I had to pick a team to win the West during the regular season, I would maybe say Denver or Utah. Or Houston. Uh, yeah, they, their depth is pretty questionable too. Mm -hmm. And I feel like eventually they're going to learn the lesson of like not running everybody to the ground during the regular season. 
Um, so I, I'm not sure that they would rack up the most wins. Um, I, I don't know. I think Denver and, and Utah are better built for the long haul. I would have the Lakers around fifth or sixth in the West. Yeah, I would say Lakers will finish fifth, um, which I guess sounds a little underwhelming after my buildup earlier where it's like, I still believe in the Lakers. But I think part of what is is lingering in my brain is us being like, maybe this team is just going to suck, and I don't think that they're going to suck. I think that Anthony Davis and LeBron James are going to be able to pull it together. Um, the other thing that I would add is Brett emailed us or he tweeted at me actually and said fyi lebron james is six and a half years older than Kawhi, not nearly 10 years older as i said on the last podcast i stand corrected but lebron is still from a completely different generation than the current crop of nba superstars which does work against him i would say it, ha- it has worked against him back-to-back summers. I was told that Kawhi just doesn't like LeBron and that that was part of all of this. And um, and the person that told me that was like, yeah, he was never going to the Lakers. So who knows whether that's real or not, but it's another reason to get very yeah. excited about Lakers-Clippers rivalry going forward the next few years. That feels a little convenient, but it also does... I mean, we had said that was the biggest hiccup in the Lakers pitch was how do you uh, merge that you know, relationship between LeBron and Kawhi. And I think it seems much more true to Kawhi's characteristics and also what he displayed during the playoffs that he would rather steal LA from LeBron than play with LeBron. Exactly. And so that's where we're at. Yeah. And it's just, it's interesting because I was willing to kind of give everyone involved the benefit of the doubt and say, look, we actually have no idea how those internal dynamics operate. Uh, Well, And you never really know how much someone values money. Because the money play was to go to the Lakers, right? Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, assuming that everybody's playing by the rules here. <laughs> and, and Kawhi has turned down a lot of money over the last few years, whether it's the Supermax in San Antonio, more money from the Raptors. Right. But he wanted to go be on his own. And apparently, like, the, the dynamics with LeBron were, were absolutely part of that. So um, the other thing that we didn't really talk about the other night was this we got this email from Misha who runs down all of the talent in the West. I'm not gonna read through it all, but we've got, you know, Steph, Draymond, Clay, Clippers with Kawhi, Paul George, Lou Williams, Rockets with Harden. And he says it's still the show versus triple A. Sure is. It really pains me to say that, man, and to admit that he is Ooh. absolutely Ooh. correct. Ooh. It just is killing me. The East is in crisis mode right now. Kemba and Ennis Cantor might be the, the third best team in the East at the, at the moment. I don't like where we are. I don't know how this happened. I don't know why all these players keep going to the Western Conference. The East is wide open for you. What could it possibly be? Maybe better weather, better lifestyle? better politics look man come out here have an earthquake every other day i don't know couldn't be me i'll deal with the humidity in washington dc yeah have a thunderstorm with some tanks on the fourth of july (laughs) sounds like a great idea uh no i think uh the west versus east dynamic is going to raise some issues here for adam silver I mean, don't you think that we have to get back into this best of 16 playoff idea here? Perhaps. I mean, the, the t- I think Adam Silver would do it. Adam Silver, from what we've seen over the last three or four years, every idea that the basketball internet throws out, He's Adam open-minded. Silver is like reading it and hitting retweet and like, yeah, let's try that. Absolutely. I think the issue is convincing the East ownership to get on board with that idea. Yeah. I mean, 
it's I mean we've been running down all these great teams in the Western Conference but you know one or two injuries and some really big stars again could miss out on the playoffs just like last year with LeBron it wound up not having as big of an impact as I thought it would you know his absence on those playoffs you know yeah. but still it's a real thing and it's going to be stark this year um, because you know all the jokes I've made about you know conversion rate like a nine seed in the west is the same thing as a three seed in the east like it's getting closer and closer to that i ran into some toronto raptors writers last night and i first of all i said you know your reign on top was short like leprechauns which Did you actually say yeah that? it felt good to say that <laughs> oh, felt good to say that in public um but i also was like you know sorry to to take your star from you and they're like who so I think they've already tried to move on with the denial phase of everything with Kawhi Leonard, and they're just going to try to keep it moving. And yeah. I think that they're taking my advice about rallying around Pascal. Pascal, and look, we got a question from, who is it here? Is Pascal going to start for the Eastern Conference All-Star team? Uh, I don't want to think about he what the might. Eastern Conference All-Star team is going to look like. He might. It'll be Kyrie, Russell Westbrook, Pascal Siakam, Giannis, and Joel Embiid. Okay. Um, that is really we've got to do better than siakam as that fifth starter <laughs> um, so but it, it could it could happen yeah it's not out of the realm of possibility james in vancouver asks which do you think would have been worse losing Kawhi or losing Masai? losing Masai Ooh. definitely would have been worse you think so yeah absolutely look Kawhi. i don't feel bad for the raptors fans because a the last 12 months went as bow, uh, went so much better than anyone would have imagined when uh, he was traded there. I mean, it was the ultimate, you know, deal with a mercenary. You yeah. Know? Like, you hired him for a job. He did the job. And he, it, he went home. And it was amazing. <laughs> like, that's something that they're going to be able to cherish for the, literally the next 30 or 40 years. And so that, on its own, is a reason to not really feel that badly for them. And then additionally, I would throw out that like all of this has just been weird from the beginning. Like they knew when they were getting into this that it was kind of a strange situation. It's very different than Oklahoma City losing Kevin Durant a couple years ago. And so it shouldn't hurt as much. Um, I'm not telling anybody how to feel. If you're struggling with Kawhi, it is what it is. I get it. But uh, losing Masai... Get over it, wimps. the, The guy who has been there from the beginning and the guy who can provide a path forward... That would have been a lot more gutting. And instead, they keep Masai, and they are going to have money to spend. Let's hope they kind of roll that over to 2021. And when Masai gave his end-of-season press conference, where he talked about staying in Toronto, somehow Giannis came up. And Masai went out of his way to say that Giannis is not Greek. Giannis is Nigerian, which I thought was notable Giannis and Masai have had a close relationship for several years. Well, I was started floating that one a couple months ago. And, well, and uh, it got it got through your censors when I brought it up. I thought it was going to set off some red light, you know, Giannis Inc. indicators. But if I was him, that would be my master plan. Yeah. I mean, having a front court with Siakam and Giannis and three three and D and guys. Figure it out, man. Yeah. I think that's doable. Um, and so, anyways. That that long shot aside, I think there's a lot of reason for hope as long as Masai is still there. And I think that they can go out and still be a fun team to watch next season. Um, because I don't know what the market is. Like, if you're trying to flip Kyle Lowry, what are you really going to get back for him at this point? So I kind of hope that the Raptors run it all back and are just kind of a proud, fun team in the middle of the East rather than blowing everything up and just waiting two years and hoping that you could sign Giannis or something. I mean, it sounds to me like, from what I've heard, you know, their people say, they're going to at least run it through the deadline. 
you know, and yeah. then reassess. And if it's not going well, you know, uh, then they have a lot of guys they could pick and choose to sell off and try to get things and, you know, uh, you know, basically do the undo what they did last year where they're stocking up on Ibaka a couple years ago, stocking up on Marcus all, they can do the exact same thing in reverse, you know, get a couple picks for it and go forward if the season isn't, you know, going as planned, but they're in the mix for the three seed. They're in the mix to win, uh, you know, a first round series at this point. So I don't know why you would rush into tearing that down. And I don't think they will. I mean, you're better off, you know, like you're saying, sticking with the respectability factor. I don't think this Giannis thing is a long shot. I mean, I think Milwaukee entering into next season, do you agree with me that they face more short-term pressure than any other team in the league? Yes, I do. Because Giannis, this thing is hanging. They've already thrown out a lot of big-time contracts to the supporting guys. They maybe have like one more blockbuster trade and potentially firing coach Bud at their disposal of like the other moves they could do to make Giannis happy before they get into the situation where it's like, all right, now we've got to decide, do we trade him early? Or, you know, does he want out? And that, that becomes a, a storyline that dominates their whole franchise. And given that he's one of the few small market stars left, the number of suitors coming after him, it's going to be a deep crop with lots of, you know, big time, you know, experienced executives putting together the best package they possibly can. And the price is going to be enormous because we just saw what Paul George went for, right? So there's going to be a lot of dynamics at play for Milwaukee. And I feel like if they don't make the finals it blows up. It almost feels like it's a referendum season for them. Yeah. I want to talk more about that later in the week. I haven't wrapped my head around it entirely, but I agree that the stakes are already very, very high in Milwaukee. And it's frustrating because I don't like doing this with Giannis, who's two years away from free agency, number one, with a team that just put together the best season they've had in like 30 or 40 years. And with a team that has done a lot of things right. They have not done everything right, and that's part of the problem. But we can show them the proper respect without burying our heads in the sand. I know. It just kind of feels gross. You know what I mean? Well, this whole NBA thing is gross, man. It is kind of gross. Look how many superstars. They can't even last two years. Paul George threw a party with Nas to re-sign with Oklahoma City, and 12 months later... He's text message flirting with Kawhi Leonard and then requesting a trade from the exact same team. Did he ask Nas to come back and do another show this summer? No, he didn't. Yeah. They had Paul George Day on the calendar <laughs> and they had to cancel the holiday. Well, and the it's other- gross. We're in this, we're in the muck. We don't have we jobs are in the muck. if we're not willing to get dirty, Andrew. Absolutely. I hear you on that front. And part of what is so interesting about the Giannis season is that. In some ways, the gates are wide open for him to go to the playoffs, or sorry, to go to the finals. But in other ways, you know, Philadelphia just loaded up with like the best combination you could possibly imagine to guard Giannis. And so I worry about what that does to the Bucks' ceiling. Um, obviously, Philly has to stay healthy to keep that intact by the time we get to like the end of May. But that's a concern because you go back to Giannis. A lot of people said Kawhi punked Giannis. I think that may be true to an extent, but what really screwed with Giannis was Toronto having the ability to put Kawhi on him and then send Siakam and Gasol helping off of him. And the Bucks just didn't have any other person to beat the Raptors and, and to beat anybody in the playoffs, really. Like well, it's yeah. Giannis or bust. For I them. mean, there was a really good double team. I thought 
the interplay between Kawhi Leonard and Mike Budenholzer in terms of how they were able to limit Giannis throughout that series together was just spectacular. Like when he was on the court, Kawhi had him. Uh-huh. And then when he was off the court, I thought Bud just did such a great job of preventing him from getting back in to check, you know, to check in at the scores table. It was just he blanketed him. Yeah. And it was just, you know, ultimately that one two punch was too much in addition to these, his supporting cast kind of faltering around him, no doubt. Um, I hear you. It feels gross. I hear you. It's a quick turnaround from this dream season. That's how fast the NBA works. And um, it's a process of elimination. There's not a lot of other guys in this 2020 market who are going to be getting people excited. Anthony Davis is the headliner there. And it seems like he's kind of found his long-term fit. To me, the dream storyline for next year from a narrative standpoint, isn't it the small market bucks with Giannis versus the big bad la lakers or the big bad la clippers i mean yeah can we end with one final take jonathan says assuming clay thompson comes back full strength how good can the warriors be on the defensive end and i think that's a good question and it is my launch pad to say that I think that the Warriors should be title favorites next year. And before I leave oh, Las Vegas, come on. they are, I believe, 13-1 to 1 right now. Maybe the odds have... Uh, okay, slow down. Are they the best bet to win the title, or you're saying they should be the favorites? Because that's different. Unquestionably the best bet right now, given how long the odds are. And also, when you start breaking down, like, who has the best trio? Like, how do you... How do these teams stack up with each other? These we've we've got duos, we've got trios. How like what is the what does the landscape really look like? You sound like you're naming off like Korean cars right now. If if <laughs> duos, trios. If Clay comes back full strength, the Warriors are gonna be a problem. They were able to get Looney back on a cheap deal. That was such a good deal. I honestly thought that they were circumventing the salary cap somehow. They've got Willie Cauley Stein to be maybe 15% better than JaVale McGee was. Maybe he's just JaVale McGee, but either way, that helps. It was kind of Kavan Kirilenko, wasn't it? It it did feel like that, which is always a good sign. If your reaction to a contract is like, how are they cheating here? How is this possible? That's a good sign for the team who signed him. Um, And so, look, there are a lot of pieces in play. Losing Iguodala is obviously going to hurt. We have no idea how D'Angelo Russell is going to fit, but... Long term, if you're asking me where we're going to be in May and what team I'm going to trust most, I think it might still be the Warriors. Yeah, I think the Clippers match up with them they do. very, very well. Um, but I think if you're trying to say Golden State versus Houston, um, you could still make a strong argument for Houston. Golden State versus Denver or Utah, I think I would, if everybody's healthy, if, if Clay's back, um, then I would probably lean slightly Golden State. Um, and I think, you know, Golden State versus the Lakers, I like Draymond as the, the ideal Anthony Davis stopper of basically anybody. Draymond has had success against AD yeah. over the years. And they've done it before in the postseason in Looney. You know, that's a nice, you know, big body to throw at Davis too as a second look. So um, I think LeBron would finally get loose in that series with no Iguodala uh, for Golden State. And so that would be the, the bigger issue for them than Davis. Um, but yeah, they deserve to be in this mix. I'm just not ready to say that they're going to be able to win the title without KD, no problem. And that seems like you're going too far there. Well, yes, and that would be it would bring your personal world crashing down if oh, they come were on. able to do that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to see what Golden State brings to the table next year. 
And again, at th- thirteen to one, just seems a little bit too bearish so on what's possible. That out there. feels reactionary, and that number feels like it's the recency bias number. Okay, you know, like when we have this argument before of like which of these teams are actually being, uh, you know, the perception of them is being influenced by recency bias. That's the one that feels like it to me because we just saw this huge explosion in the finals. It seems like oh, everything's done. This one era clearly is over. Golden yeah. State's entering a new era with like you know half of a brand new roster, uh, but they've done pretty well around the edges, and people still sleep on Steph and Draymond. That's just a fact. Yeah. Well, you know? um, on that note, Ben, we will be back later in the week. We need to revisit the Brooklyn Nets because we never got to talk more about them. We need to talk a little bit more about the Utah Jazz. And um, perhaps we'll be talking about a Westbrook trade, but Thursday morning is our next podcast. And uh, until then, it's time to get back and enjoy some scintillating summer league action here. I cannot wait. It will be a great time. Hopefully somebody shows up and plays well, so we're not quite as you know pessimistic about these rookies uh, on the next episode. Andrew, until then, our listeners can go to uh, Apple Podcasts and search for our page. It's Open Floor. Find that page. It's Uh, It's two words. Scroll down. It will say rate and review. Tap five stars. It's just that easy. Help us spread the word. We're still grinding these podcasts out for you guys in July. So come on, show us a little love. We're also on the world famous radio.com slash open floor. I'm on Instagram at ben.golliver. Closing in on 2 million followers. It's been a big week for me, Andrew. It's been fantastic. Global reach is just out of control. Until later this week, (laughs) I will talk to you. How do you take yourself seriously? All right, we're done.